0: will be raised up to be a strong generation that loves your truth loves your gospel that is bold and courageous to live for you in a world that is increasingly hostile to truth and lord we pray that as we seek to do that to raise our kids in this way and to live this way in our community that we would be a faithful presence that the light would shine uh, to our neighbors and in our community You would give us many opportunities to speak about the hope that we have in you. Lord, we also pray uh, for our governor, Governor Newsom. Father, we pray that you would grant him repentance and salvation. We pray that you would grant him wisdom to make hard decisions that he would make decisions that are aligned with reality and truth. We do pray that decisions would allow for freedom, freedom especially for churches to continue meeting and preaching your gospel. Father, we thank you that we can participate in your work around the globe by praying and in our prayers We thank you for Ralph and Joan Justiniano, some missionaries that we've supported for many years. We thank you for the work they've been doing in Japan, the fruit they've seen. And we pray, Lord, that your word would continue to reach these uh, hardly reached people at this isolated island they've been working on. Lord, I pray that you'd encourage them as a couple and that the gospel would bear much fruit where they are. Lord, uh, your name is so glorious, it deserves to be praised by every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so, Lord, spread your glorious gospel to the ends of the earth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, you can open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 3 again. Um, if we were inside, I think this sermon would have been part of the last week's sermon. But we, since we're trying to do a little bit of a shorter sermon, sermon just because we don't want to bake in the hot sun um, and we have no child care and everything's a little bit more difficult out here. Uh, because of that, uh, I've been trying to do a little bit of shorter sermons to make them more easy to listen. And so this probably would have been a part of last week. So I want to invite you to turn to the same text we looked at last week. That would be Mark chapter 3 and that would be verses 13 to 19. We're actually going to focus in on a part of the text that we didn't really look at last week. And detail, and that's verses 13 to 15, and specifically where Jesus is telling, or where Mark, rather, is telling about how Jesus plans to prepare these disciples for the ministry that he's going to give them after he leaves them. Uh, before we get in there, I want to uh, paint a picture in your mind of two people. Let's, let's get two people in your mind. Let's give them names. Let's start with Jim, and then our second guy is going to be Joe. It's going to be confusing. They both start with Jay. Sorry about that, but you'll be able to hang, I'm sure. Let's start with Jim. Jim is an older, older, uh, more mature Christian. He's been in the church for years and years. He's been faithful to attend regularly. He reads his Bible somewhat consistently. His life is pretty stable. And yet, the more he attends church, the more he begins to feel a little bit out of touch. More and more, he feels that church is something that they're doing, and I'm watching. I come and see what's going on. I come and participate in the sense that I'm there, but not really participating in the sense that I'm helping it all happen. I'm not really doing much. I don't really have much of a purpose here. I show up, I hear a sermon, and throughout the week, I I think about it, the rest of My relation to church is kind of not much. I don't have that many relationships with people outside of the casual and shallow acquaintances I have once a week for one hour on Sunday. That's Jim. And then let's imagine Joe. Joe is brand new to this whole Christian thing. He's trying to figure it out. He's figuring things out as he goes. He has tons of questions, but he's been... Coming and there's a kind of hunger that he has to to figure it out. He's he's not even quite sure what the gospel is, but he's very intrigued about Jesus. He wants to know what the Bible has to say about him, and he's he's thinking, well, maybe this is something I could give my life to. Maybe this is something that I I need. Maybe this is the 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 answer to the the question that I've been longing to get get answered. And so Joe is kind of at a critical point in his life to he, he needs to understand the gospel. So we got this older Christian that's kind of starting to drift. He's, he's starting to become a little bit detached, even though he's more established and more faithful, in a sense. And we got this younger Christian who's, who's new, who's hungry, who's got questions, and needs some help. And if we were to take these two people and we were to try to sum up what both of them need, how might we do it? What do these men need? What do they both need? I think we could sum it up in maybe one word. They're both at crossroads. They're both at critical points in their lives. Jim could coast off into his golden years and waste them by basically living for himself and not really being engaged in the mission that God has for him. Joe could be left on his own with no one to really help him out, and he could flounder and drift away. They're both at crossroads. They're both at critical points. What do they need? I propose that the text we're about to look at will actually show us a helpful picture of what they need. And I could think we could summarize it with one word. You could jot this down if you're taking notes. Discipleship. Discipleship. These men need discipleship. You say, what's discipleship? Uh, What is discipleship? Uh, Some have compared it to mentoring. Mentoring might be a little bit too formal of a word. Uh, We like to think of it like this. Uh, Discipleship is helping people follow Jesus. Discipleship is when you intentionally aim to do spiritual good for another person. Discipleship is happening when you're going out of your way with intention to help someone know and trust and follow Jesus Christ. And I think that Jim, the older Christian, needs discipleship to be a part of his life. And I think Joe, the younger Christian, needs discipleship to be a part of his life. And I would ask you if you were to identify with one of these guys, who would it be? Would you be the Jim who's maybe starting to drift because you're not quite sure what your role is? Or would you be the Joe that's hungry and aching for someone to be in your life to speak truth to you to help you along it's been said that the christian life is the discipled life and the discipling life the christian life is the discipled life and the discipling life let me ask you by this definition are you living a christian life That is to say, are you living a life where you are being discipled? That is, you are being helped to follow Jesus by people around you. And are you living a life where you are helping others follow Jesus Christ? You're discipling. You're helping them by teaching them, showing them, modeling them, getting into their life and showing them what it is to walk with Christ. We want to look at what Jesus did. Jesus had men in his care That he would spend three years with and he invested in them in such a way that we can look and see what he did and we can learn from this. We can learn a lot from this. And the Jims and the Joes among us can get so much about how Jesus himself trained that if we understand some of the principles and apply them to our lives, then we will, I think, be a a church growing in health. Let me read the text, verses 13. We're just going to read to 15 and kind of dive into these few verses. And he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed 12. You remember last week we went through each one of these men and kind of talked about what they're like and got to know them a little bit. We won't do that this morning. He appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. There's our text. That's it. What did Jesus do to prepare these 12 men for the ministry they would have after he left? And I believe that what Jesus did with these men is what we all need to be happening in our own lives. What, how Jesus invested... And that he invested is a reminder that we all need to be invested in. And for those of us who understand the mission of the church is to make disciples, to help others follow Jesus, we need to learn from how Jesus did that. And so from these few verses, we're going to draw out three ingredients for discipleship. Three ingredients. If you want to be discipled or you want to make disciples, which is the Christian life, by the way, if you're a Christian, you're in that, those categories. If you're not interested in those things, I wonder what you mean by saying that you're a Christian. Because Jesus calls us to himself to follow him, to learn from him as his disciples. And as we learn from him, we are taught to teach and train others. So we're all part of this discipleship enterprise. So if you're a Christian here this morning, you need to hear these ingredients for how you can participate in the disciple-making ministry God has given to every disciple and to his church. Three ingredients. We're going to show them in the text. Here's our first ingredient. ingredient. First ingredient is love. We're going, to, we're going to use one word to kind of summarize each one of the ingredients. We're going to say love for number one, and we're going to look at verse 13. You're going to see it. you got the bustling crowds in the previous section. These crowds all clamoring around him, hyped up to get close to him so they can touch him, so they can be healed. They don't really know him. But then you get verse 13, Jesus starts narrowing his attention to just 12 men. It says, he went up on the mountain and he called, I want you to pay attention to this this phrase here. He called to him, ready, those whom he desired. He wanted these men. He desired them. And they came to him. And I just want to pause and reflect on that reality for a second. That before Jesus came up with a strategy, of course, he already had what he was going to do, he he didn't start with a curriculum. He starts with a heart that's open and overflowing with love and desire for these men. He wants to be with them. This is where. All discipleship starts. This is where all impactful lives begin. It is a life that loves and desires to help other people. You think Jesus chose these men because they added a lot to his life in the sense that, you know, being around them would make life so much easier and more convenient and more comfortable. Is that what's going to happen when Jesus starts going through life with these guys? Or are they going to make his life a little more messy and a little more complicated, uh, a little more difficult, because they're going to be uh, hard-hearted, they're going to be hot-headed, they're going to be stubborn, they're going to be faithless, they're going to be infighting, they're going to be proud. It's not, Jesus is not choosing these men and desiring them to be with him because when they come into his life, suddenly everything uh, just becomes a little easier for him and a little more convenient. Some relationships are that way. We choose friends based on what they can offer us. Uh, That person's going to make my life more fun. That person's going to make my life easier or more comfortable or more convenient. I don't think that's the reason behind why Jesus chose these 12 men. At the heart of it, we just see in verse 13, he chose them because he desired them, he loved them. There was nothing in them that was Going to add to Jesus' life, he loved them. And you read through the Gospels and you see this love just spilling out of the heart of Christ. He calls them little children. He calls them his friends. If you were to open up the heart of Christ, you would see a heart that's throbbing with love for these disciples. He cared for them. And you know what? I think it's because his love was so evident. It was so overflowing to these 12 men. I think it made it a little easier for them to be corrected by him when they needed to be corrected, right? It's really hard to be corrected by someone you know doesn't care about you. But when someone you know loves you, just has your best interest in mind, he's really looking out for your heart and your soul. And when that person speaks truth into your life that hurts a little bit, you're willing to take it because you know it's coming from a heart of love. Jesus desired them. It's not the kind of love that says, yeah, I love you, but I don't like you. You ever said that to someone? You ever said that about someone? Yeah, I love them, but I don't really like them. That's not what we're hearing in the heart of Christ. He loves them to the degree that he desires to be with them. And for three years, his life is going to be chock full of time spent with these men. Maybe you've heard that statement, and I, th- I think it's a good adage to jot down and always remember. They don't care what you know until they know that you care you try lecturing to someone you try shoving truth down their throat and they don't have any sense that you actually care about them they're not going to care what you're trying to teach them that's true of parenting that's true of leadership that's true of discipleship jesus loved them cared about him and because of that they were able to listen to him listen let me ask you this if we're going to follow Jesus' example here and make impact on the lives of the people around us, we have to ask ourselves this hard question. Let's be honest with ourselves. Do you love people like Jesus? That you desire them. You desire what's best for them. You desire that they be near Christ. You desire that they know Him. You desire that they grow that, that, that's what keeps you up at night. That's what gets you up early in the morning. Is there on your heart like Jesus who often withdrew to desolate places to pray? So does it work that way in your own heart? There are people who are so near you. You desire what's best for them that you will go to Christ on a regular basis on their behalf. You so deeply love them. Do you love people? Oh, it's possible to be Involved in church every day of the week and not love people. It's possible to be busy with ministry and not love people. It's possible to be in church every Sunday and not really care about people. Their souls. Their struggles. Their burdens. Their joys. There are some people who love their careers and their lives show it because their lives are all oriented, built around, revolving around their careers. There are some people who love money. And their lives orbit around the God of money. There are some people who love power, and so they're grappling after power. And there are some people who love people. And their lives are all about helping, serving, knowing, and caring for, and desiring the best for people. That's what Jesus was like. And if we want to have an uh, impact on anyone, just like Christ, we have to desire people. We have to desire their best. We have to love them. If time and energy and money are like water in your bucket, where are you pouring it out? Where's your time being spent? Where's your energy going? Where's your money invested? In people? Souls that will last for all eternity? Or something else? It's instructive to think about the reality that Jesus in the final three years of his life when he was Preparing for his own departure, took everything he had and invested it in people. Because he loved them. Second ingredient is life. The first is love, the second is life. And you see this here in verse 14. Look at verse 14. So he appointed twelve whom he gave, who he named apostles. What do you appoint them to do? At least to start. What was what was their seminary. (laughs) What was their training? What was their curriculum, you might ask? So that, he appointed them so that they might be with him. I remember seeing an entire book written on discipleship, and the title of the book was called With. That's it. With. So that they might be with him. That's where it all begins. See, Jesus had a love so great that it overflowed to being with him. His open His life opened up. It was like the love just cracked out, opened his heart, and it outflows this this love that's so deep and so real that Jesus wants to invite these men into his life. He wants them to be with him. See, this kind of love, the the kind of Christ-like love that we're talking about that really impacts a life is the kind of love that then moves toward other people. It's the kind of love that then opens up its own heart, opens up its own life, because it wants to spend time with people. <clears throat> if you just kind of even do a, a cursory reading through Mark or the other Gospels, one of the things you'll start seeing is how frequently Jesus does something that we might call a retreat with his disciples. Mark 7, he takes him up to Tyre and Sidon, which is in the north, uh, n- northeast, kind of close to the, Medi- or sorry, northwest toward the Mediterranean Sea. He takes them over to Decapolis, Delmuntha, this is southeast Galilee. In Mark 8, he's up north in Caesarea Philippi. Uh, They're kind of, at these times, they're avoiding the crowds so they can be alone together, so they can have time together. In Luke 13, uh, they spend some months together in Perea, east of the Jordan. These are like long retreats that Jesus says, hey, let's get away for a little bit. Let's get away from the crowds. Let's get away from the bustle and the clamor. And And Jesus wants to spend time with just these men and what he's doing by the way is not i'm going to lecture you need to listen he doesn't take them all up into accessory of philippi set up a classroom and make 12 guys sitting around in a circle while he lectures them for five hours a day he's just living life and he's pointing to vines and then he's talking about them and he's teaching about the Father and about the, himself and about the Spirit. I mean, he's going through life. He sees a little children and something happens where they're trying to keep the children back and Jesus le- uh, needs to teach them about that. In other words, they're living life together and in the normal flow of life, Jesus is talking and teaching and instructing and showing and exampling and modeling He's living. He's opening up his life so that they can see him live for the glory of his Father. And in that, they learn. They learn to live. If you want to have an impact, we follow Christ's example here, and we open our lives. Paul adopted the same model. Turn, turn in your Bible. Let's, let's look at it. Turn in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians and go in the, uh, to the right uh, you pass some of uh, the more popular epistles of Paul, like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And then you get into 1 Thessalonians. And if you look at chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we can look at verse 7, where he's describing his ministry among this Thessalonian church. And he loves this church. He he's, he loves this church. He has such an affection for this church. Listen to the words that he has to describe how he feels about his this church, and about his ministry with the people of this church. Verse 7, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother. Can you think of anything more tender? Can you think of anything more gentle, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children? Verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you. Desirous of you. I mean, that's the same language that's happening in our text in Mark, that Jesus desired them. Here Paul is so affectionately desirous of this church. Look what he does. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Yeah, we didn't take the gospel grenade, lob it into your life and take off. There it goes. And I hope you can figure it out and put the pieces back together. We were sharing this good news, but more than that, we were sharing our lives. We were sharing ourselves. Why? Because you had become very dear to us. We loved you. We had affection for you. It was flowing from our hearts. It wasn't contrived. It was something we felt so deeply that we opened up our whole life to you. That's how ministry is to be done. You you can't impact a life with a closed life. You can't impact a life with a closed life. If you want to impact the life, open up your life. Let people in. Let people see it all. Let people see you going after the Lord with all your heart. But you can't do it with a closed life, a closed heart, a closed home, a full calendar, a closed wallet. True discipleship is costly because it's an investment, but it is worth the investment. What are you living for? Where are you investing your time? This is what Jesus has called us to do. This is at the top of the list of priorities we have as Christians. Who is in your life? Who have you opened your life up to? This is Paul's method. This is Jesus' way of life. Now you might be saying, well, Eric, there's the problem. That was Jesus, the Son of God. I can't do that. He's perfect. He's sinless. That was the Apostle Paul. He's he's the towering figure of the New Testament apart from Jesus. Certainly, they got to be given different standards than me. I can't open up my life. And maybe you've said something like this. Who am I? I don't have anything to offer. I don't have an education in Bible college. I didn't go to seminary. I have a hard time reading my Bible every morning prayer life stinks well i want to tell you something if you're a christian you got to reflect on this reality i think this might be this might be your homework if you've ever had those thoughts that creep into your mind and you say i don't know that i could ever really be used to impact another life colossians 1 27 very simple few phrases here all he says is this christ in you the hope of glory think about that church Christ in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Who is sufficient to do the work of ministry? Who among us? Any of us? Does anyone have what it takes to do ministry and impact lives? The answer, of course, is no. But Christ in you is your hope. Christ in you is your power. Christ in you makes you sufficient. And so if you've ever for a split second thought, well, it's not me, well, you're absolutely right, it's not you, it's Christ in you. And you can have an impact. And so you love people and you open your life. I wanna tell you a story about um, uh, a woman named Erin Wheeler. She wrote an article, I actually had the men in our men's equipping group last year read it and I asked them to share it with their wives because it's such a powerful article. And in this article, uh, she is describing how Ill equipped she feels to disciple other women. The title of her article, if you want to go look it up later, I would encourage you to do that, is called Discipling When You Need to Be Discipled. It's like, I need to grow. I, I, need, I need to have my questions answered. I need to get my stuff figured out. How am I supposed to help anyone else? And she's writing this article and she describes this time when she's she's just finished meeting with a, a woman who had come over to her house and she's kind of grumbling to herself and she's thinking, and and she, she writes this, kind of describing her own inner dialogue. She says, I'm a mess. I have no idea what I'm doing here. There certainly wasn't any teaching going on with my crazy hooligan children and my heart in a bad place toward my husband. I shouldn't be teaching anyone. I'm the one who needs discipling. God, what would you have me to do? In her desperation, she cries out to God, God, help me. She she goes on to write how every time she feels like she's trying to help someone else follow Jesus, she starts trying to open up her home, open up her life, and and people will come over, and and then one of her kids will throw a tantrum, (laughs) and the laundry's not done, and the house is a mess. She even describes one time the toilet gets clogged. Towards the end of the article, she writes, in discipling these women, I tried to, Instruct them, question them, discuss books together, pray with them. Listen to this. Follow this. But they would tell me later that often the best teaching came from simply watching me. They watched God use my weakness in fighting for patience when the day had long since worn me thin. They watched me struggle to love my husband after sharing with them my own struggles of feeling second place to his work. I came to better understand the words of Paul when he said, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. These ladies got a front row seat to see what a true jar of clay that I am. Since we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, sometimes we need to allow others to see God's strength shine out of our feeble attempts to serve Him. Friends, that is profound. And if we get this, we will have an impact on lives around us. You don't need to be perfect, you won't be. You need to confess the reality that you're a jar of clay, that you're a broken vessel that you're weak, that you are inadequate and insufficient in and of yourself to make any impact on anyone else. But the power doesn't come from you. The power is from God. Christ is in you. He works through you. And so we understand this and we humble ourselves and we say, all right then, well, I'm going to love people. and going to open my life to them because I want to help them. And my life isn't perfect. Listen, You don't wait to become perfect to open up your life to someone else. You know what will happen if you wait that long? You'll never do it. Paul was a sinner. We sometimes forget this, but he was a sinner. And he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Here's what you say. The same thing. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, you have the right to say, hey, don't follow me if I'm not following Christ. Christ. And if in any place in my life I am not following Jesus, if I'm not following His Word, well, don't follow me. But insofar as I am doing all that God calls me to do, and I'm following Christ, and Christ is working in me, it won't be perfect, but follow that. This is the second ingredient for discipleship. The first is love. The second is life. Love people. Open your life. See, the love of God is so great, so glorious, so fantastic. It strikes us like lightning when we understand the depths of our own sin and the great mercy of God to provide a sacrifice for our sin in Jesus Christ. And then to hear that he conquers death, he rises from the dead, he's alive right now. He is our always ever-present Savior, willing to fully and completely save everyone who comes to him by faith alone. When we come to Jesus, understanding the immensity of the love of God, We go, I have been so loved, so now I will love others. How could I not? If I've been so loved, how could I not love others? If you haven't yet trusted in Jesus Christ, I invite you to now. Jesus has accomplished everything you need for salvation. Come to him by faith. Experience the great love of God. And then begin following Jesus. Begin following Jesus. Here's the third ingredient discipleship. We're going to summarize it with the word labor. The first is love, a true love for others, Jesus had. Second is life. He, he wanted his disciples to be with him, that may, they might observe his life. And then third, labor. And I want you to see there, verse 14, he, he, he says that he wants them to be with him, and watch this, that he might send them out to preach There's a gospel labor that he's inviting and even calling these men into. He's going to send these men out to preach, verse 15, and to have authority to cast out demons. He calls these men to preach. Now, remember last week, who did he recruit to be his apostles? Were they politicians? Were they orators? Were they used to getting up in front of crowds and talking at length these were fishermen tax collector a a political zealot these were not the kind of guys you'd expect to be preachers i imagine that uh, you can almost use your sanctified imagination here and jesus says hey i'm calling you and i want you to be with me and and uh, peter the big mouth remember peter always sharing what's on his mind he goes all right, yeah, we get to follow Jesus. We're going to be with Jesus. We're going wherever Jesus goes. And then Jesus says, uh, yeah, and I'm going to send you out to preach. And they all go, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you, you're going to ask me to do what? Go preach? You're going to ask me to stand in front of people and preach? So, Not a lot of people like getting in fr- up in front of crowds, especially if you've never done it before. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld has famously said that according to some studies, um, uh, people's number one fear is public speaking, and number two is death. You'd rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy. I mean, this is what Jesus is doing. So I imagine that the 12, when they, they hear that Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you out to preach, they go, hang on, me, us? You go, you go up to chapter 6 of Mark, verse 7, and then he does it. He sends them out two by two, and he tells them, Preach. He sends them out two by two. They go preach. They have authority to cast out demons. In other words, here's what I think is happening. How do you learn to preach? How are you going to teach these guys to preach? You're going to have them go preach. Uh, how are you going to teach them to do the ministry? You're going to tell them to go do the ministry. And all along, Jesus is going to be teaching them. He's going to be talking about it. He's going to be debriefing. He's going to be instructing. In other words, you 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 learn by doing it. How does a kid learn to run? They just got to get running. Last Sunday, while Uh, Mark was teaching our membership class. Um, My son, Jack, was running around here on the pavement. And uh, all of a sudden, I heard some wailing, some crying. And I didn't know what happened until later. I got home, and there's this big bruise on the forehead of my son, scraped up. There was, like, still asphalt. Like, we got to brush it off. He's a mess. I said, what happened? Well, he was running. (laughs) He was running, and he tripped. You know, that's what happens when uh, you're learning to run. Sometimes you fall. Uh, but how do you learn to run? If I took Jack aside and I said, all right, buddy, I need to teach you to run, here's a, here's a good book on running. You know, here's Running for Dummies. Uh, here, Jack, you see this? Let's, let's read through it page by page. Pay close attention. You know, one foot, then another foot, another foot. You don't learn that way. You, you learn to run by running. You learn to preach by preaching. You learn to minister by ministering. Jesus is going to train these men. He's going to give them real opportunity to do actual ministry, and he's going to be discussing it and debriefing it. Listen, there's going to be times. If you're a member of our church and you're seeking to grow, I I can guarantee you this. There's going to be a time when someone in leadership is going to ask you to do something you're not quite sure you can do. Hey, lead this discussion. Hey, share your testimony. Hey, go spend some time with that couple and give them the counseling they need. And you're going to go, who am I? I don't know what to do. I've never done anything like that. You know what? You learn by doing. You don't sit and wait till you've got it all figured out. In the same way, Jesus is not going to wait till they know how to preach to send them preaching. He's going to spend time with them. He's going to give them uh, his attention. And then he's actually going to send them to do it. And then he's going to talk about it. And they're going to learn By doing. They're going to learn through their labor. To grow, you've got to go. If you want to be trained in ministry, you got to be prepared to be stretched by diving in. See, a disciple will some a discipler will sometimes call people to higher levels of faithfulness. And if you're a learner, if you're trying to grow and you want to be discipled, I guarantee you this, you'll be willing to be stretched to do things that are uncomfortable for the sake of your own growth, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the mission, and for the sake of the glory of God. I had a man in my life who really influenced me greatly, and he kind of had a mantra. He had a a little rule about his life, and his rule was, as a young man, I think he made it when he was a 19-year-old, he said, if I ever get asked to do anything in ministry, asked to preach, asked to share testimony, asked to lead a small group, He said, I chose, I made this rule that I would never say no out of fear. I might say no because I'm too busy and I'm not able to do it, but I'm never going to let fear stop me from serving the Lord. I commend that piece of advice to you. You want to be like these apostles and be teachable and taught and be a disciple of Christ, listen, prepare yourself to be stretched. And don't cower away from opportunities. If if opportunity arises in your lap, go for it. And humble yourself and say, I can't do it. You're like the little baby eagle being pushed out of the nest by the mother. And you're going, I don't know how to fly. And then you start flapping your wings. And by the grace of God, you see he is faithful, that he uses weak people like you, and that you can have an effective and fruitful ministry even though you don't feel prepared. Listen, nobody, mark this, nobody who has ever had a successful ministry started out thinking they knew it all and were totally prepared for the work. Did Moses feel that way? Oh no, you can't let me go. I'm not eloquent enough. Did Gideon feel that way? Oh no, I'm the weakest of all these tribes of Israel. I can't do it. Did Jeremiah feel equipped? No, he felt like he was too young. No one starts feeling ready. You dive in because you trust the Lord. You dive in because you're humble and you know that he will work through you even though you're not adequate. You don't say no out of fear. I want to point out something else about this text. Look at verse 15. He sent them out to preach, but also he gave them something else. Verse 15, and have authority to cast out demons. He sends them, but he sends them with power. Whose power is that to cast out the demons? It's Christ's. You will never be sent without, without, without also being given what you need to do the work he has for you. Christ goes with you with his power. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He enables us for the ministry. See, Jesus wanted these guys to go and preach, and then he gave them this power, this authority to cast out demons, and that was to be a validating uh, power The power to cast out demons would have validated their message. And so they would preach about the gospel. They would preach about the kingdom. And then they would cast out demons. And they would uh, then be validated. And the people would believe the message because of the power of uh, their miracles that they were working. I find the principle here that Jesus goes with us. Jesus prepares us. I'm not saying that everything you try you'll be in a lot of fruit and it'll be successful and you'll be overflowing with all the different fruit of the people that have come to the Lord. Sometimes there's disappointment. Not everyone responds in the same way. But I can say this on the authority of the Word of God, that when you go, Christ is with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. That he empowers us for service. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, Matthew 28. And he tells us to go, and then he says, Behold, I'm with you always until the ends of the age. This is an amazing principle. The power is not us. The power is in Christ. So You want to make disciples and be discipled? Here are the ingredients. You love people. You open up your life, and you let people into your life, and then you get involved in people's lives. Life is an essential ingredient. But then third, you labor together. You you labor for Christ together. You get to work together. You serve together. You minister together. And you learn as you go. You dive all in. You grow as you go. Because as you're doing that, you're depending on the Lord to do the work in you and through you. You labor hard. And if you ever feel weak, if you ever feel like you're not adequate, well, join up with the rest of us who are weak who are inadequate, the broken vessel that God has used him to do his work through us. So this is what discipleship looks like. So Some of us are like the gyms I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon. And if you're like a gym, you've been around for a long time and you're not quite sure what's next, you maybe feel like you've lost some purpose, if you're like them, let me tell you, dive into a life of discipleship. Love other people. Open your lives to them. Totally invest. Get busy with the labor that God has for you to do and feel your soul come alive as you begin living for the purpose God has given you. And if you're like a Joe, you're not quite sure about anything, you got a ton of questions, listen. Find someone who's going to love you. Open their lives to you. Call you to serve alongside them. And friends, there are many here who will do those very things with you because they care about the glory of God, the health of the church, and the mission we're on, and they care about you. Stick around and talk to someone if you feel you need to be discipled. We need every member, all hands on deck, helping each other follow Jesus. Love, life, labor.